It's the 13th of June, 2015, and this is episode 221. This show is intended for informational and educational purposes only. What cryptocurrency enables is new, empowering, and exciting, but we're not experts. Just obsessed companions walking the road towards a more peer-to-peer future. On today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin, we've got another episode focused on solving problems. It's been almost a year since we checked in with the Lazoos Project, an ambitiously open-source ride-sharing app whose basic value proposition is enabling hitchhiking as a service, so to speak. During the second half, we catch up on what they've accomplished, what they've learned, and what comes next. But first, this probably isn't the first time you've heard me talk about the LTB network directory built into the LTB companion multi-token wallet, but there's a problem with it. It only works if the person that you want to look up and send tokens to also has an account on LTB. We kick off episode 221 with NetKey, a protocol for what they call wallet names that goes beyond and interconnects singular platforms like LTB. Let's get into it. Today on Let's Talk Bitcoin, we're joined by Justin, the co-founder and CEO over at NetKey.com. That's spelled N-E-T-K-I. So let's start with the basics. What's the problem that you're trying to solve with NetKey and how are you accomplishing it? Yeah, thanks, Adam. We have a team of folks that spent uh, about 20 years working over in the internet industry on bringing that technology over into the mass market. And as we came into the Bitcoin space a little over a year ago, we, like many people, saw a lot of similarities between the early days of the internet and the early days of Bitcoin, particularly in terms of its ability to positively transform the lives of others. And in the case of Bitcoin, as well as the internet, one of the places where it helps most is in the people that have the least people like the unbanked. And so as we came into the space, what we tried to do is take a look at what did we see that we thought were potential barriers to mass market adoption that needed to get solved at an industry layer versus with a point solution like a wallet or with an exchange. And as we started playing around with Bitcoin, literally the first thing that we ran into was wallet addresses. You know, if you take the public key of a public-private pair, you know, this crazy 30-character case-sensitive alphanumeric string, and you show it to people and say, this is how you send me money, most people are going to look at you like you're crazy. And frankly, when you like send it to people in an email and that, they sort of wonder whether or not they got hacked by looking at that thing, because it doesn't seem like something a person would send. And so what we came up with was a really simple service called Wallet Name Service that allows you to really easily share your wallet name, which then can translate to your wallet address, where it's very easy for you to share with anyone and for them to use uh, without having to publish that information to everybody. Wallet names. Wallet names are something that I don't think you guys are the first ones to come to this, but I'm looking at your website, I'm looking at NetKey, and I see that you've done this in a, in a way that's slightly different from, from other attempts I've seen. So I'm looking at this, it says, what a wallet address is, and it shows you know, a, a, a normal Bitcoin address that, of course, nobody can remember and you wouldn't want to try to copy down because you'd get some stuff wrong. And it says what a wallet name can be, wallet.tonystark.bit. Talk to me about that. Is this a domain? What, what exactly is this thing that we're calling a wallet name? We're built out on top of both the Namecoin blockchain as well as DNSSEC, so traditional DNS. On top of the Namecoin blockchain, we'll register .bit names, so something like TonyStark.bit. 
because we're using DNS, we can use people's traditional domain names that they have. The architecture that we've built and kind of the way that the reason that we've gone this way actually provides the users and the, the ecosystem as a whole a few advantages. One is because we're putting the base name like TonyStark.bit in the Namecoin blockchain, it allows users the full ownership and control and you know sensor resistancy of having a blockchain-based name. But all that actually resides in the blockchain is a pointer to the DNS servers that contain the actual lookup info, as well as a public key for DNSSEC to ensure that the records are secure and untampered with. And then the records themselves that contain that name, wallet.tonystark.bit, or whatever you want to make it under tonystark.bit, and the address lookup reside out on a distributed DNS server. And what that means is, is that someone actually only knows your wallet name if you've shared it with them. And that helps protect the privacy and anonymity of the blockchain and your transactions that are happening inside of the Bitcoin network. There's a few other things we're working on with our partners that uh, we believe further, or we know actually, further enhances the security and usability of uh, wallet names uh, as a way to use wallet addresses while further enhancing privacy that we'll actually be rolling out over the next few weeks. So it sounds like what you've created here is essentially a directory service where users can come to you and either register a .bit domain through, they can register that through your service, right? Well, they can register it through us or they can actually go and uh, register the records on the blockchain directly themselves and run the name service entirely on their own. So we're not like a centralized directory. It's more that we've created a format and a, a standard that can be used as a way to do these lookups. And people can either use us as a service provider to do it for them, or they can go ahead and set things up and do it on their own. The conversation that we're having right now is really more about users at this point. So you wouldn't, re- you wouldn't say that the normal use case is going to be somebody is going to download and install the you know, Namecoin blockchain and then register something actually using Namecoin, the token. Because that, that's actually quite, uh, quite a difficult process and has a number of steps and it takes hours to do. Yeah, so that's not at all conducive. So you offer that service too here is the thing that I'm getting at. I'm wondering, do you also offer registration services for .coms and .orgs and stuff too? Or are you just people can onboard those? We do register any ICANN domains as well as the .bit domains. And let me also say for most users, actually, what the easiest path is going to be is many of our, our partners, and this is actually a benefit of the fact that we're using a hierarchical namespace like DNS, what they're actually doing is going ahead and auto-registering names for their users on the system. And so one early example of that that's up and running today is uh, with ChangeTip and their tip.me service. Well, so if you go and type into your web browser, justinwnewton.tip.me, it will actually take you to a page that tells you a little bit about me and uh, some other things that I've entered in the change tip service. If you go to a participating wallet like Holy Transaction, or you go to like a cash to Bitcoin service like BitQuick, in the destination address, you type in that same justinwnewton.tip.me, you'll actually send Bitcoin to my change tip account. So you essentially are providing an API to these wallets, and then the wallets are automatically doing the registration for users, so they don't actually have to engage with your company, but they still get the benefit of it. And the companies that are partnering with you get the benefit of having, so if it's like ChangeTip, then this would be on the tip.me domain for uh, all users who register through that service. 
Correct. You know, that does a few things. One is it, it from an end user's perspective, they literally get a zero click installation to be able to use this service. And, you know, from the provider's perspective, because it's built into their service, they can include it in their documentation about how the service works and other things like that, because everybody has it. Also, if you think about the early days of email services, one of the ways that services grew when they didn't have large marketing budgets was the fact that their name showed up in the email addresses of all their users, and that created virality. And the same concept can apply here. You know, we think that there's a lot of benefits for the the partners as well as the users of going with this hierarchical naming convention. Talk to me about the uh, blockchain or the data that you're putting into the blockchain and what blockchain specifically that is. Because .bit obviously has the name coin association, but if I were to register a .com with you and set up a wallet like that, what actually happens to that? Where does that directory information live? If you register something that's like a .com through us, it, it lives in the traditional ICANN namespace, right? We're registering it through a registrar and it goes through ICANN and does all the normal things that it would do on that side of things. So it's particularly the .bit stuff that ends up being blockchain-based. You know, like I said, .com kind of goes through its traditional technology and governance layer. The question that I'm trying to ask specifically here is, is your company actually the one who's maintaining the directory of what these various wallet names correspond to? Because that really is the core of this service, is on the front end, you have these you know, wallet names, which are human memorable and can be registered and can be personalized and all this jazz. But then on the back end, each of those wallet names connects to a specific single or hierarchical uh, set of addresses. So where, where does that list live? The list will live out on the, the DNS servers that are being used. So in the case of people that are, are partnered with us where we're hosting the names, those lists will reside with us and they'll reside on servers that we're hosting you know, on behalf of the providers that we're partnering with. There are, uh, we know of, some of the people that are, are implementing this service that are intending to implement it fully on their own, where the records will reside fully on their servers. And, you know, frankly, the only way we'll know about any of those records is in the cases that we see people doing a lookup of them. Well, so it's interesting because for the last couple of months, we've been working on a wallet to make it easier to use user-created assets in the Let's Talk Bitcoin community. And one of the features that we put in fairly early is a directory lookup for people who have usernames on Let's Talk Bitcoin. So we have about 4,000 people who you can type in their username or search for a username and pull up the address and then send directly to that name within the system. The downside about this is that it is a closed ecosystem, right? You actually have to have a Let's Talk Bitcoin name then there's some risk associated with that. So it sounds like your service is actually pretty similar to that, except you also give people the ability to host the files on their own domain. But because of that, you have kind of this address thing. So you were saying that using the domain space, you know, where you've got like TonyStark.bit and TonyStark.com and TonyStark. You know, all of these other things, that's a good thing. And on the other hand, you're saying that you don't think the directory should be searchable, or you think that it's a, it's a privacy benefit for it not to be searchable. Can you talk about that? I mean, like, is the company that you've created here really just like an infrastructure background company? You guys don't, you know, really want people to know about you. You mostly want other companies to use your service and users to use you through that. Or is there kind of a different vision that I haven't noticed here? Yeah, I mean, really, if you if you think about what our vision is and what we're going after is we want to provide services to industry players that help reduce barriers that exist for everybody. 
and you know try and take care of them at an infrastructure layer. So like one example of that is around you know this directory thing you talked about, right? There's lots of people that had these internal directories like you have. But as soon as, you know, they wanted to send to a service that wasn't their own and get beyond their own walled garden, nothing worked anymore. And so what we created basically was a layer that lets all these people that have their internal directories tack their domain name on the end of it and expose it to the rest of the community. So it makes it easier for everyone to interoperate with each other, you know, allowing people to focus on creating great services. And then we help make it easy for them to interoperate with the other great services out there in a way that creates a great, great environment for end users. Our first product is wallet name service, you know, which helps make it easier to send and receive Bitcoin across different service providers in the industry. But we definitely foresee taking a look at other issues where, again, we're not creating a point solution for end users. But we're creating things that can help reduce friction in the ecosystem and help make it easier for people to focus on developing the great apps that they want to develop instead of some of these ancillary services. So if we were going to integrate with NetKey and bring over 4,000 users, what type of cost would I be looking at You know, as the guy with that platform, or how, how would that work? What type of relationship would we have? And what type of relationship would you have with our users? For our early partners, we're not intending to charge them for hosting names for the first couple years. And we've also tried to make integration for our partners as easy as possible. Our integration for doing name lookups is literally a one-line REST API call. So you can probably uh, guess about how long integration takes on that, like I don't know, an hour, something like that, including testing. And then in terms of auto-registering names with us, that's three times as complicated. There's actually three API calls that you can make. You can create a record, you can update a record, or you can delete a record. Again, there, frankly, most of the integration time is spent not in doing the technical integration with us, but like thinking about how you want it to look in your UI and where you would put it there and kind of those pieces rather than the actual integration work itself. Uh, We also, for our partners, uh, we assign one of our developers to be available to each of our partners to, frankly, help as much as people are uh, willing to let us. So we want to make it as easy as possible for people to partner with us and to get this service out there as broadly as possible. Talk to me about your development practices. Are you guys, I mean, is this project open source? Uh, are there elements of it that are open source? We've been kind of seeing a mixture of projects lately. There was a while where everybody was doing full-on open source, but it's been less lately. Yeah, so, I mean, everything that is related to the service offering that makes sense for open sourcing. So, for example, how all of the service works, what the record formats are, how you would go about, you know, doing this yourself, running it on your DNS servers, all of that we've published, you know, that sort of thing so that people can do it on their own. Second, the lookup API server, which is, you know, the server that actually does all of the record lookups and assembles them and passes them back when people want to look up a wallet name. And that that's also where we'll put other features in in the future. So for example, one of the things that we've built is instead of just passing back a wallet address, you can put a URL in the lookup record and then we'll do 
from the API server a second lookup to that URL to either be able to pass back a unique address every time, a la BIP32 or uh, HD wallets, or to pass back a fully signed payment request, so like BIP70, which basically is like SSL for Bitcoin. You know, someone will type in a wallet name and what they'll get back in their wallet is a little green lock like you get in your web browser when you go to a secured site. And then it'll tell you who the payment is going to return to you. So it provides some additional security and validation for the user that they're sending their Bitcoin to where they wanted to. That functionality will also be, in terms of parsing the responses to those URLs and such, will also be built into the open source API server. We haven't open sourced some of our internal pieces that you know, are used to connect to our internal registration server and databases and things like that. But, you know, frankly, they're not part of running the service. They're part of our internals. So we think that makes sense. So if I wanted to set one of these up right now, I'm looking at your pricing. And one of the things that really jumps out at me is that if I was going to get a dot bit, it would be a buck 95. And I think that the next cheapest one is about $20 per year. What exactly is it that I would get if I register a domain with you? Because clearly there's a little premium on this compared to a normal domain name. So is that the service you're providing? Frankly, we haven't focused tightly on how we can get the best wholesale price on domain names. So on the ICANN-based names today, the pricing that we are passing through is really based on us making a very, very small uh, margin on the wholesale pricing that we can get today. And so if it, it turns out that we end up having a larger focus on that piece of the business, which frankly, I expect to see most of the weight going down the blockchain path rather than the ICANN path. But if we do see more focus on the domain name size, we'll be focused on lower pricing there as well. Right. I'm not really pushing back against the pricing. I mean, it seems like you guys are providing more of a service than the standard, uh, the standard you know, domain registrar does. You're also providing this identification service on the back end. So again, you know, like the premium is a couple of bucks. It's not very much. The bigger question is, is there a downside to using DotBit given that it's so much cheaper? Because I mean, like I was, I tried the other day to get Namecoin set up and tried to, you know, I registered a domain through a different registrar actually who just popped up. I think it's called get.bit or something. One of the things I noticed about it is that, you know, you can't load .bit domains unless you uh, actually have the Namecoin blockchain downloaded so that then that can be, you, so that your computer and the browser can consult essentially the Namecoin blockchain in order to figure that out. If I wanted to send funds to somebody who has, you know, like, it's Tony Stark dot bit. Would I be able to do that, or would it? Would I have to still have? Would I have to have all of the Namecoin stuff installed to be able to use it? Yeah, no, you would not have to have all the Namecoin stuff installed in order to use it. That's actually one of the reasons that we built and then open sourced the API server. And so the you know the API server does kind of all the magic of talking to the Namecoin blockchain and everything else. And so for the, the wallet providers that are integrating with us, what many of them are doing is they're, they're running a local instance of that. So they're kind of doing that work. And then your wallet is, is actually doing that lookup against their infrastructure. Okay, so it works like a light wallet does, where essentially there are oracles out there that know, what, that know what's going on with that particular blockchain, and you can just send requests to them. Absolutely. Great. Well, I've been waiting for somebody to do something like that for Namecoin because <laughs> even trying to download, there was a project maybe a year ago called freespeech.me, I think. 
uh, free speech yeah. me. And even, and that was a browser plugin, right? Whose whole goal was to make it easy to use dot bits. And they still made your, your browser plugin download the entire Namecoin blockchain. So it took like five or six hours and there were multiple steps of setup. So, I mean, like, so it's, it's, I'm, it's very exciting that, uh, so now are you providing that service for hosting as well, or is this just for the names? It's just for wallet names at this time, but frankly, uh, you know, it wouldn't be that big of a deal to, you know, modify the open source server to do that. And so if, if someone was interested, I, I would bet that they could contribute that kind of pull request in less than an afternoon. How do people find you? Um, are you guys hiring at this point? How do people interact with you? What are the sites? Most of our information can be found on our main webpage at www.netkey.com, N-E-T-K-I.com. You can actually uh, look at any of the information around our API or anything else by clicking on the developer link at the bottom of the page there. Another cool link on the page is actually if you go to our partner link, if you are somebody that's working in the space, or if you just want to see how the service works, there's actually a video at the top of the partner page that kind of shows a use case. It's just an integration we did quickly with the open source Copay wallet just so that we could do a quick and dirty demo. It actually shows the use case for both regular address lookups, HD wallet address lookups, as well as, as I said, payment requests, where we pass back that fully signed payment request instead of just you know a simple address. I think that that gives people a pretty good view of how the service works today, you know, how they could use it. Going big picture, stepping back for a second, what is the long-term vision of this? You've kind of mentioned some little offhand things, but is there a cohesive vision? Do you guys know where you want to go with this? Or is this kind of just, let's go and see what happens? Yeah, I mean, right now we we see ourselves playing in a place that is very like, say, you know, a VeriSign or a, a GoDaddy plays for the internet space, except for the Bitcoin space. And so I think that you would see other places where there are services that the community needs. You know, one example of that would be a certificate authority for BIP70 certificates or other kinds of, you know, identity or other services that are best handled by a service provider versus be having to be handled at every individual provider separately. The magic word for episode 221 is fire. That's F-I-R-E, fire. You've got until the 20th of June to visit letstalkbitcoin.com or the Let's Talk Bitcoin iOS app to enter it for your share of the listener awards. On episode 138 of Let's Talk Bitcoin, originally released on October 23rd, 2014, we first learned about the Lazuz project, a platform aimed at enabling distributed low-cost ride-sharing everywhere through its application environment. Ten months later, we're joined by Shai, to update us on what's been accomplished and what comes next. Shai, thanks for your time. Hey, thank you, Adam, for inviting me. So before we get into what's new, let's hit the basics. What actually is Lazuz? Lazuz is aimed to create a decentralized transportation network which is supposed to be the fundamental uh, thing in all uh, smart transportation needs of people around the world. This big target, we have started with a service that is not available, real-time ride-sharing. Uh, in fact, the service that we are aiming to provide 
is the one that you go down from your house, you write the destination, and you get picked up by another guy driving by your destination or another spot on the middle that more drivers to take you to your destination. In fact, it's a multi-hop solution enabled only by real-time service. It can't be done pre-scheduled. All this while being uh, socially matched between driver and rider. So social matching have two levels. One, when network is still small, social matching to help you like meet each other at the drive. But the, when the network will get bigger and bigger, so social matching, in fact, will see driver and rider to have a fun experience. The last time we spoke, we talked kind of at length about how this was different from a service like Uber and how Uber is really kind of just like a reinvention of a taxi service. And it strikes me that the thing that you're doing is almost like a reinvention of hitchhiking. Yeah, it's like making hitchhiking a service, something that you can rely on timely basis or social experience. These are the two aims. And in order to do to achieve those big aims, we think that it will change. It won't be called anymore hitchhiking. It will be just the way people move from place to place. Now with the empty spaces in cars and in future time maybe with autonomous cars, this will be the way that people will share rights in this. And it's a big infrastructure. Maybe the fact that people are stuck in traffic is well known. But 1.1 is the average occupancy in each car in LA. In fact, it's a huge resource, like almost four seats are empty at, at every car. And just changing the way people think about hitchhiking and uh, rebranding it as something that is the social network enables to do and the technology enables to do with great fun and ease is something that is part of our aims. Though we are creating a transportation network so everybody could connect to the API and create his own service. If someone aims to do an Uber or something like this, and just connect to the APIs, pay through the system from the rider to the driver and on his end he can put any API and any price that he would like. Interesting. So Lazuz, as you guys have developed it or are developing it, is really more like a protocol for ride sharing. And then if I wanted to build a specific application that that would allow me to use the Lazuz network in whatever way I, I want, then I could basically do that and I don't have to get your permission or buy licenses or anything like that. I would have to acquire some of the Lazuz token in order to kind of power all of that, because that's how your system operates. But I could actually create a dedicated application that does really whatever I wanted to do using yours as the back end. Yeah, that's the idea. Interesting. So as a driver with the system as it is now, how do I use your platform and why would I want to? So first of all, I have to stress out the fact that now there is no place with enough users to be a driver with the system. So the system as it is now have two, more than 2,000 people who are driving with the application in the background. 
and in fact creating the network around them. And there are places in the world where the network is already pretty dense, but it's not enough to give good enough of service to really activate it as a real-time ride-sharing service. Because the biggest problem in real-time ride-sharing is critical mass. You need a lot of users to create a service that you won't have to wait more than five minutes all along the way. Okay, well, let me rephrase the question then. As a driver, I guess the question would be, what am I doing now with the application and why would I want to do that? And then if that's different from what you think I'll be doing later as a driver in your network and why I would want to do that, let's talk about both of those things. Right now, based on where your platform is right now, what is the value proposition to a driver? And can, I mean, you, you can be a driver in your system, even though if it's not driving other people yet. Yeah, you can be a driver and you can be a driver while hitchhiking or driving a train because every time you go above 20 kilometers an hour, you just start collecting road rules. These are the tokens that will later on be used by you for using the service. It's not the Zeus tokens that are being sold in the sale because proof of location is hard to accomplish. People who believe in this service and think that this service is something that should be done and they will be users of this service are collecting tokens that will later on be used by them for the service. And later on, the driver will just drive and the system will have a lot of information on the whereabouts of people. They will just drive and be matched, be offered to take riders along the way. And then they will take them and smart contracts will be created at the beginning of the ride together. And if both rider and driver will approve that drive ended, so the Zoo tokens will move from the rider to the driver. Zoo tokens that are for sharing the cost of the ride. And if one of them didn't approve, so there will be like a third signature of conflict resolution of the system. That if someone says that tried with you and everything went well and the other one, no, so there will be some kind of conflict resolution. I have to say that we have found a way to have a critical mass even before this big network. Service that we have started developing is train ride sharing feature, which matches train riders using the Lazuz application. If they are on the same train, so it offers them to check if they can ride share from the end station to their home. It's a last mile solution. Ah, interesting. Uh, yeah. So they are already on the train. The system knows that they are on the train. So if there are more than few users around you in the same train, so you are being offered to get a ride with someone of them. So you just write your destination. And if you are matched by destinations, you click if you approve that you want to share a ride and chat window opens. You discuss where you are going to meet at the train station, at the entry train station, and then you drive together and those tokens are being paid for the match. The road zoos that you collect while running the application. So some of them are being paid for the match, and some of them are being paid by the rider to the driver. We have already some 
transportation systems around the world that are interested in taking this into a pilot. That's really a clever kind of way to, to get around the fact that, you know, the world is a big place and the people who want to use your system are, you know, spread out. Um, another area that it strikes me that's very similar to that would be airports. You know, people fly into airports from all over the world. You know, it's kind of like train stations. So tell me then about the perspective from the rider side. Can the rider do anything at this point in your system? Basically, you just have to be a driver or even if you are a rider, I guess, you, you can run the, the driver app because if you're sitting in a car and it's going more than 20 kilometers per hour and you, you know, go for more distance than whatever the minimum threshold is, then it basically is counting you as a driver. So tell me about the, the rider experience in the future. Why do I pick this instead of doing other things? You just try to your destination and you get picked up in a few minutes being taken uh, either to your destination, now to a big junction with a nice place to stand for another minute where another driver will take you there to your destination. So this is the experience of rider. Okay, so I would probably want to do this, like, I'm trying to think of the applications where I would use this. And I can see using that in places where it's going to be really expensive to get where I'm trying to go or like at some place, you know, if it's really far, I could totally see using that sort of, sort of ride hop thing where you use something like an Uber or, or a cab. And as you get outside of their local area, it gets actually really expensive. So, I mean, like, so that's the type of application that seems to make sense to me immediately. But then once something like this is pervasive, like what type of a cost difference do you think there's going to be? Because the last time we talked about this, you know, I was like, well, but you know, why would I offer this service rather than being an Uber? Now that we've got this kind of like hitchhiking analogy in there, it makes a lot more sense to me. It's kind of just uh, creating a, a system in which that can function as opposed to just a, a more informal system. I think you are uh, totally right. Alternative to the paid transportation. And uh, in fact, the cost difference is, uh, is big because uh, it's only sharing the cost of fuel with some added uh, value at each country because some countries the fuel uh, price is so low that it doesn't reflect sharing the ride but most countries the price could be matched to the cost of fuel for this ride tell me about the last 10 months you know it seems like a lot has happened when we were talking you guys hadn't even rolled out i don't think you had yet rolled out the initial like test mining app that that you've been working with so kind of bring us up to speed what what's happened to this point we were into developing both decentralized organization platform and the, the ride sharing application. And it became such a big project that we have understood that uh, we have to split it. One part of the team continued to develop the real time ride sharing idea while developing protocols for decentralized organization just to run itself. The protocols are uh, matched for the current size of the community. So maybe I can just give you an example. So distribution protocol of uh, Zeus tokens for work, because that's what we are getting while working uh, in Lazus. We are getting Zeus tokens as a reward for what we do. So we have a weighted voting system that everybody votes at the end of the month on how much should Shai be rewarded for his work. People have also reputation, the weight of their vote. So the weight is being calculated with the amount of Zeus 
uh, your decision is being uh, weighted by your reputation. Oh, let me just stop you there. How is that going? Because that sounds, I mean, like that's one of those future things that people talk about doing. And, you know, we're thinking about doing things like that, but you guys are actually doing it for work that is generally paid. So you're not paying anything to, to your contributors outside of the Zeus tokens? No, it's just Zeus token uh, economy, inner economy that's uh, still uh, getting better and better. Right now, it's a code that runs on mathematics. People just fill a form and then the code runs. Somehow similar to Google PageRank, find your weight according to your final weight. It's algorithm that is trying to guess weight till it finds the right weight to match your final weight. Your weight is being found and then using this weight, uh, it's the decision-making protocol. It's in our uh, white paper that we published uh, on the Bitcoin Talk forum. So you can read about it and it's nice already. And interface that we are using now, the form that you feel about everyone is a little bit long, but it's also under development that participants in the project won't be displayed with people they don't know. This is like the next step. We are also cooperating with part of the project that got splitted into developing the decentralized organization platform which is led by Matan Field. We are waiting for uh, the pilot to check it out. That's really interesting. So I got you off track. I want to get back to what's happened in the last 10 months since we had our last conversation. So you're paying people in Lazoos and you're making decisions collaboratively as a group. What else has happened? So we have started developing the mining application and got more ideas and met a lot of groups that were into our idea, because the social aspect of Lazur, many organizations are interested in cooperating with us because it's something very attractive for a big corporation. So we got into a strategy of working uh, in both ways, a bottom-up, which is grassroots movement with the mining application that people are spreading around and the number of users is going higher and higher. Every other thing in the strategy is top-down when we try to find the big corporations or big transportation systems that need our solution and will cooperate with us and have already a big user base put in the system that will enable real-time ride-sharing happen much faster in local places. So this and that and the distribution protocol for mining, there wasn't till now one zoo per 100 kilometers that you ride, you get as a reward, but now there is reward algorithm for road miners. And it's pretty nice. The idea that first road miners in a certain area gets more zoos tokens, but it goes down if you're not uh, spreading the application or the community around you doesn't grow, so you don't keep uh, on collecting ZOO tokens, because the idea of rewarding in ZOO tokens, the road miner, is uh, creating the community around you, the community of users. We got now almost 70 contributors contributed to Lazoo. 
I think there is more, but <laughs> but that's a lot. I'm a, I'm a little bit excited, and now we are in the crowdfunding that we aim to do it uh, for a long time. Ah, maybe something that I missed out is the legal structure for a decentralized organization. It was very hard to hack it, and at the end we got to a place where we have a company which is called Azuz Mind the Gap, and the company is binded by by legal agreement to do whatever the community decides with the decision-making their protocol. So the company do things that are needed to do in the regular world when you have to go to the bank or you have, um, need to do things with other uh, companies, other corporations that need the fiat currency, and community just decides what the company will do. For her, it's just uh, like a service of the community. So the community is uh, Lazuz, and the company is Lazuz Mind the Gap, and it's just uh, execute Lazuz community decisions. This is the legal structure, and it was uh, pretty hard to hack it. But we thought it's essential because what we are trying to accomplish is mass collaboration. It can't be done as we think without legal structure for a decentralized organization. Well, I'm very interested to see the details on how you put your structure together. Uh, let's talk links. If somebody is interested in uh, downloading the Lazoo's application, it's L-A space Z-O-O-Z. On, uh, and you're on Android, right? The application is L-A-Z-O-O-Z. Okay, so no space. No, no space. Website, from there you can go to, we don't call it crowdfunding, it's token sale. From there you can get to the token sale, the lazuz.org, L-A-Z-O-Z.org. From there you can get either to the Bitcoin content, and we have put the Indiegogo campaign for fiat input. It's just to help the people in the Bitcoin space and cryptocurrency space. If they don't hold Bitcoin right now, they can just pay with credit card or PayPal through the Indiegogo campaign. One thing that I didn't mention is the gamification, that mining zoos while driving is one idea, but like the gamification is an essential part of getting to the critical mass. In fact, right now it's just driving and collecting kilometers, but we have a few more ideas uh, for gamification of the creation of the network. And this is, in fact, going to be the strategy for the bottom up to make it a viral game that uh, people just join the network and it's fun and they want to meet the other Lazuz uh, users around them. They get the chance to meet them and know them even before the network is uh, already full with users. This is the bottom-up strategy using gamification methods. It's part of our roadmap to add cool gamified features to the mining app. Thanks for listening to episode 221 of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Content for today's episode was provided by Shai, Justin, and Adam. Music for this episode was provided by Jared Rubens and Gertie Beats. This episode was edited by Adam B. Levine. Thanks for listening. <laughs>